Today's reading comes from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 31. Acts is located towards the back of your Bible, after the Gospels. The big numbers represent the chapters, and the small numbers the verses. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people, and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, that they were, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may be spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Good? Oh, there it is. Woo! There it is. Okay. Hey, good morning, everybody. 
Um, I want to thank John Simberger for preaching in my place last week, giving me the opportunity to take a knee. That was good for me. I want to say good morning, too, to our family members who are uh, watching or participating in our gathering via YouTube. My family's among them this morning, so I don't really get to say hi to all my kids this morning. So, Johnny, uh, I have your card right here, buddy. Thank you. I got it. And Owen, you were still asleep when I left. And Emma and Linnea, of course, love you guys. I love all you guys. Really glad that you're here this morning to worship Jesus uh, with us. Since John preached in my place and I had a week uh, with a little more capacity to it, some time, I had the opportunity to think deeply about you as my family and to think, to consider some areas of life where maybe I don't know you as well as I do. And maybe there are some things I need to know in order to love you better, to care better for you like Jesus uh, calls me to. And so I had a really important question for you this week, this morning, coming out of my, uh, my week of taking a knee. And that's it. Now, that's this. Who are my DC comic people in the room? Can you just self-identify real quick? All right, we're going to go DC to my left. Uh, Marvel. Who are my Marvel people? All right, pretty. Oh, wow. Kind of superior there. Not even. So Marvel will go to the right. Um, how about I don't know if they're superheroes or not, but my Mandalorian people. Oh, oh. oh look at that enthusiasm. So you're going to go to the middle. Who doesn't care? Yeah, look at you guys. So proud. Most of the people who don't care just went two hands up. Man, we don't even do that for Jesus around here. We're like, no way. <laughs> I love it. All right. So uh, superheroes, like John, oh, this is weird. What is John doing right now? I was reading about the genre this week, and, and there was a quote by uh, a journalist who, who wrote this. He said, hey, okay, frankly speaking, both Marvel and DC comics are just unreal. All characters within Marvel and DC are too unrealistic, and they totally don't exist in real life. So for those of you who don't care, maybe that's why you don't care. That's just kind of how you feel. But that quote also explains why many of us do care. And I'll just challenge you, even if you don't like the superhero genre, I guarantee because you have a human heart that beats the same as the rest of us, in a movie's plot line, you are looking for ways to identify with the hero in the story. We're just kind of wired that way. But you may like uh, superhero genres because, you know, it's because they're so unreal, it's a diversion from reality, right? So it's, it's entertainment that draws our mind away from the mundane of, every life, of, every, of everyday life that we have to slog through. Maybe it's not the diversion. Maybe we watch and we connect because we wish we were like that superhero in some kind of way. So we, there's this desire. Maybe deep down, the reason we like that genre is because we know we all need rescue, there's a something in our hearts that just resonates with what a superhero can do because we know either we are so we have so much brokenness in our past or you guys want me to switch? Sorry. Okay. Oh, that's so much cleaner. So much cleaner. Okay. So deep down. We know we need rescue, and we know we're, in a, we're unable to provide that rescue for ourselves. So there's a longing for some heroic rescue from the outside, not only for ourselves, but for the world in which we live. So we love our superheroes. Problem is, problem is, 
we tend to read the Bible like it's full of superheroes. And many of us have grown up in Christian expressions that even maybe teach that there's this unbroken chain of characters all through the Bible that are super heroic, beginning with Adam, and then you got, you got Abraham and Moses, and just fill in the blanks, Joshua and Samson, and all the way into the New Testament, like they're super heroic figures, Ruth and Deborah. I mean, to leave the ladies out. Sorry, ladies. And we come to think, man, God loves super heroic kind of Christians a little bit more than your average members of the family. And we come to believe that God not just loves them a little bit more as father, like he's got all his kids, but we know how this works, right? Like there's, I won't ever tell my kids this, right? I see some of you parents thinking this right now, but there's this one, right? And we're like, that's how God views, man, you guys are even whispering to each other right now. Like keep it a little bit more of a secret for a while. Like God views his kids that way. So he loves them more and he needs them more. If we didn't have superheroes in the family, nothing would get done. The father wouldn't be represented well and no good would happen in this broken world. We can even project Christianity to people outside the family, maybe unintentionally, but that somehow Christianity is for the super good or the super disciplined, that it requires something special to even be considered a Christian to begin with. Here's what we're going to see in Acts 4 this morning. The spirit empowers common people, common people. The Spirit empowers common people to confidently proclaim Jesus' words and perform his works, focusing, here's my favorite part of the sermon, it's going to be lots of fun, focusing on Christ over conspiracy in the face of persecution. So last week, John led us through chapter 3. It connects with our, with our narrative today. So let me just summarize. In chapter 3, we see Peter and John, who were two of Jesus' earliest followers. They spent three-plus years with him learning the ways of Jesus. And then they were empowered by him and sent out. So we know of them. Sometimes you might hear them called disciples or what they came to be called as apostles. They were the earliest representatives and leaders uh, in Jesus' family, right? So Peter and John, they went to the temple to pray. And on their way to the temple, they meet a man who had never walked before in his life. And they're like, he said, hey, can I please have some money? And they said, no, we don't have any money, but we're going to give you your legs. And so God, through Peter and John, heals this man and, of course, draws a crowd. Imagine if you were going back to the gate today, gate two, and you interacted with one or two of the panhandlers there, and instead of giving them yen, you said, dog, I can, I can heal that for you. Like you. You might draw a crowd, right? That just might draw a crowd, and that's what happened. It drew a crowd, and so Peter and John took that moment with a captive audience to tell them about Jesus. And they said, hey, Jesus did this. Uh, we didn't do it. He did it through us. And hey, by the way, speaking of Jesus, um, it's the same guy you just like screamed to have executed. In fact, you asked for a convicted criminal to be placed back on the street so that Jesus could go to the cross. You rejected him and killed him, even if it was in your ignorance and you didn't know what you were doing. You're still culpable. You rejected him and killed him. But that Jesus that was crucified, the father raised to life, and his name is the author of life. And look at how he's writing a story of life for this formerly crippled man. And he writes stories of life for all sinners who repent, turn from their rebellion. And that's what you need to do. You need to recognize that you were guilty of rejecting and your sin put Jesus on the cross. Acknowledge that, confess your sin, turn to Jesus, and if you will, the father will give you a season of refreshing. It's still true for you this morning. Maybe you wandered in here this morning. You're not yet a Christian. 
And the clearest truth you just need to hear is the Father will hold you responsible for all of your rebellion against him. He's your God. He's your creator. He's your rightful king. And even if you didn't know what you're, you were doing in your, uh, in your rejection of him, running from him, you're culpable for all of that and you're facing his judgment. But if you will turn from that rebellion and run to him for mercy, the Father promises he will give you refreshing for your soul like you have never experienced before. So that's chapter three. Roll into chapter four. Ethan just read it for us this morning. Peter and John are preaching their sermon. The temple authorities are super annoyed. I mean, they had essentially collaborated with the Roman government anyway to crucify Jesus. And we heard Ethan read about the Sadducees. They were very involved in temple leadership. Sadducees didn't even get down with the resurrection of a dead body to begin with anyway. So uh, hated that they were talking about Jesus. To them, a resurrection was at the level of conspiracy theory. So they were super annoyed. They lock them up, but it's the end of the day. They're all government employees. So you got to go home at like 1530. So like the E2 was left in charge of Peter and John overnight because that's just how it rolls. And they put them on trial the next day. Council examines them. Peter and John testify. It was more Jesus. Hey guys, he did this. We didn't. Speaking of Jesus, again, same talk. They give him the same talk. You guys rejected Jesus and you're responsible for his death. And so the council warned them, hey, no more Jesus talk, none. You're done. No more in the entire city of Jerusalem. And they threatened them, probably legally threatened them, and probably physically threatened them. They released them. Peter and John go to their friends. They pray together. And then God answers their prayer and assures them of his presence. Here's our first idea in Acts chapter 4, common. The Spirit empowers common people. The problem is that we read these stories like John and Peter are superheroes. Like this, we read about John and we want to assume he's something like, so John Stewart being one of the characters once upon a time for, for it's not just John, like there's got to be more to him. He's, he's heroic. I'll never be like him. Or rather than it just being Peter, like Peter Parker-ish, like there had to be something special about Peter. Look at the way God allowed him to just do these amazing, incredible things. But when we read the Bible that way, the pressure is on and every generation, every church needs to find a new hero in the family. And I need to be a hero and you need to be a hero. And you get sermons like, go be David and find your Goliath and put him down, like be the hero. But Acts so clearly looks us in the eyes and says, family, we already have one hero in the family. His name is Jesus. Every other member of the family is an ordinary, common person. And so the hero gives us a helper. His name is the Spirit. And he empowers common people to do astonishing things. Jesus doesn't need people to crush life. His family is full of common people, not caped people. And we see this in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were what? What? uneducated, what's the second word? Common, ordinary. Common people, they were astonished and, and they recognized, oh wait, these guys had been with Jesus. Guys, the father's family is full of common people, not uncommon people. The father's family is full of common people, not caped people. For those of you who like math, we can do a little math in these verses. So here's some gospel math. We just saw in this verse, verse, we can add them up, uneducated, plus common, plus Jesus, plus the Holy Spirit's empowering presence equals astonishing results. 
Astonishing results that will blow people's minds. We can pivot away from the gospel and kind of talk about the math that we normally do in our heads. Uh, We can call it religious math, call it whatever you want, but it's gospel deficient and Jesus absent. And here's how it usually rolls. Education, I need to know more. I need to learn more so God can use me. Plus uncommon, I somehow need to improve so that I'm better than what I actually am so that something astonishing can happen. But family, what we learn in the book of Acts is this. You can serve Jesus just as well with a GED as a PhD. It doesn't matter if yesterday you rocked the ASVAB, the D-Lab, or a meth lab. It doesn't matter. There's no magic age, right? 16 to drive, 18 to vote, 21 to drink, something like that. Kids, if you're in the room, listen, you don't have to be a teenager for some magic switch to like turn on and all of a sudden, now you can represent Jesus well. It doesn't matter if you're two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, gotta get them all. Before teenage years, if you, you're common, you're just like the rest of us. I know everybody wants to just keep telling you you're special, special, special. You're just common, right? We're all ordinary. Just like the people who lived and died before us and like the people who will live and die after us. We're common. We just got to be okay with that. Common plus the education piece doesn't matter, plus Jesus plus the Holy Spirit. If you're a seven-year-old and you love Jesus and Jesus loves you and he's empowered you by the Spirit, you can, the Father will do things through you that will blow people's minds. Teenagers, you don't have to turn 18. You don't have to go to college to prove yourself. You don't have to make your dad happy by enlisting or, or it doesn't matter. You don't turn 25 and all of a sudden become valuable to Jesus. If you're 18 and a common person, which you are, you're common, if the Spirit's empowering presence is with you, the the Father can do absolutely astonishing things through you. And that's what we see in Acts. Gospel math, uneducated plus common plus Jesus plus the Holy Spirit equals astonishing results. Look at verses 14 to 16. It says, I love this response, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, here the skeptics now have nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them, Peter and John, to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? Because a notable sign has been performed through them and it is evident to everyone here in this, everybody knows, no social media yet, but word had already spread. The temple was the epicenter of life in Jerusalem. Word had spread through the city. We cannot deny it. Why can't we deny it? Verse 22, the man on whom the sign of healing was performed and he was more than 40 years old. All they mean by that is, oh boy, was born and raised in Jerusalem four decades. Everybody knew his family name. Everybody knew his name. He begged at the same corner on the way to the temple every day for 35 years. He was never going to walk. And so now here's this indisputable, notable evidence that had been uh, the sign that had been done. Again, uneducated, common, plus Jesus, plus Holy Spirit. Astonishing. How astonishing? The skeptics were speechless. They called it a notable, evident, and undeniable event. Guys, Acts shows us so clearly the Father performs notable signs through nobody special. That's just how the family rolls. Now, in DC Comics, for you DC people, correct me if I'm wrong, the problem with your people is this. They, and this is, I'm taking this from a scholar in the field, okay? 
um, they tend to be take for granted beings with the power of God. So people feel a little bit, they're like up here. They're not as realistic and we can't relate to them as well. Now you Marvel people, the reason you get a little more appeal, so the scholars say, is because the Marvel heroes are a little bit more true to life. Messy lives, imperfect people, maybe with very broken pasts that find themselves endowed with this crazy gift that maybe they don't even know where it comes from. So if we were trying to align those two to the gospel, uh, less DC, right? And maybe the Marvel family comes closest, but still not quite there because they're not common. Fun fact about the root word behind this word common that we have in chapter four. You ready for this? You're not ready for this. You're not ready for this. Behind that word common, do you know what English word we derive from that root? Do you know? This is fantastic. And if you don't remember anything else, just remember this, idiot. I'm not even joking. You can go look it up later. You can Google it. It's idiot. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. So one of the pastors who uh, has mentored me from afar, he doesn't know my name and he'll probably never know my name. That's okay. He pastored a church in Nashville, Tennessee. He's retired now. His name is uh, Ray Ortland. He's kind of a mentor to a generation of, of pastors, especially in the Acts 29 uh, family. And uh, so while he was pastoring Emmanuel Church in Nashville, they came up with what they called the Emmanuel Mantra. And you're about to see where this comes from. Ready? You want to know it? So as a family, they'd recite this. There's number one. I'm a complete idiot, right? I'm a common, I'm a common ordinary person. There's not something special about me that made the father love me and be like, oh, I'll adopt him or her into the family. I'm common. I don't bring anything extra special to the family. Now, some of us are threatened by that. Really, it should be good news to you. That's how the Father loves you. It's not dependent upon your, your value based on what you do. So I'm a complete idiot. Number two, my future is incredibly bright. And that's what we see unfolding through Acts, a bunch of common people with an incredibly bright future in the Father's family and the good news of the gospel. Anyone can get in on this. You don't have to do something heroic to be accepted into the family, something to prove how worthy you are to be a Christian. Christianity is not for the super disciplined or the well-endowed. Christianity is for the helpless and the broken and the hurting and for the people who don't bring anything special to the table, us common people. As we rehearse the gospel and the gospel tells us we're common, we can respond by saying, I'm common and that's okay. I'm ordinary, and that is all right. Jesus' family is full of common people, not cape-wearing people. Guys, you don't, just stop trying to be super. You're not super, and it's okay. Did you, your soul is not created with the capacity to be heroic for a lifetime. Jesus is the hero. We're common. Most of us, because we're discipled by the culture or by, by a warped Christianity, we feel we have to live up into this super heroic existence of being a Christian. Those are all lies. You can't live up into that. Can't. We're common. Jesus is the hero of our family. I'm common and that's okay. So don't be super. The gospel would say, wait, be still. Don't be super, be still. Wait. Jesus is the hero. Everyone else in the family needs help. And you know how, you know how much help everybody else in the family needs? Like this is sobering too. So the Father and the Son and the Spirit planned for our rescue and planned so that we could be their family. Each played a very specific role in our rescue and adoption and so on. 
they look at each other and agree that we are so helpless, the only way we're the kind of family we need to be is if one of the members of the Trinity actually takes up residence inside of our being. That's how helpless we are. So if we need any more humility handed to us by the gospel guys, that's how much help we need as people to live into the image of what Jesus created us to be. We need the spirit living within us, period. That's how much help we need, all right? So number one, the spirit empowers common people. To do what? Number two, confidently proclaim Jesus' words and perform Jesus' works. So John 14, 12. Before Jesus returned to the Father, he said this to his, his followers. He said, truly, truly, and that's like the old-fashioned way of saying, you can bank on this. Like, go ahead and tweet it right now. This is tweetable. This is, this is the truth. I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Did you know Jesus said that about his followers who would come after him, that you would do greater works than he did? Because I am going to the Father. Guys, Acts is the story of that statement coming true in real life. And so we need to stop reading Acts as history and start reading it as happening. Acts is not history. It's our story. It's not past. It's present and unfolding. And Acts, our story, tells the story of astonishing things happening. Notable signs, evident to all, undeniable events happening through the Father's family. But you're like, John, dude, I don't feel that at all. I feel really common right now. And really vulnerable in my commonality. I'm so common, I'm not crushing it. There's nothing astonishing, there's nothing notable, there's nothing evident, there's nothing undeniable. Hey, Peter and John can relate to that. Check this out. This is in verse 13, that word boldness, right? It means boldness or confidence. They were not always known for their boldness or confidence. Look at this in Mark 14, 50. Simple sentence. This is a summary of what happened after Jesus was arrested. And that statement is made of his closest followers to include Peter and John. And what did they do? These grown men, rough dudes, from a tough fishing town, right? Seasoned, salty dudes ran away scared. They ran away scared when Jesus was arrested. Guys, common people have stories of leaving Jesus and running away. What's your story? What are your stories? And then there's Peter, more specifically, Mark 14, 72. It says, man, this, and look at this moment. Immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And rough, strong, type A Peter, in public, broke down and wept. Guys, common people have stories of denying Jesus. What are your stories of denying Jesus in our commonality? So what changed? What changed from that those Peters and John, like what changed to now what we're seeing in Acts? Well, we know Jesus restored them. And maybe this is the only word that you need to hear this morning as one of our father's kids, as a follower of Jesus. Jesus restored Peter and John after they had run from him and publicly denied him. No retribution, guys. Jesus is gentle 
and he is kind. And all of God's judgment for our rebellion was poured out on Jesus on the cross, satisfied forever, so that now, if you repent and believe the gospel and are adopted into the family, all you will ever experience from the Father is mercy and kindness and gentleness, not judgment, not retribution, and not even this. Some of you have been raised to think God is angry and happy. You're good, he's happy. You're bad, bad Christian, he's angry. The Father is never angry at you. Jesus was not angry. He didn't have retribution holding up for them or shame or guilt. He restored them gently, kindly. And then Jesus gave them his spirit. We learned about that earlier in Acts. And that's the key to all of this. Look at verse 8 in chapter 4. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and then he went on to boldly proclaim truth about Jesus. Guys, those words, filled with the Holy Spirit, that is our, if you want to call it our family secret, That is, those lines precede every incredible thing that you see in the book of Acts. Nothing about Peter and John being uncommon or extraordinary. Everything about the Spirit's empowering present being in and with Peter and John and us. The Spirit empowers common people. I'm common. So here it is. Here's how this fleshes out every day. This is a daily prayer for followers of Jesus. Man, and isn't it true anyway? You, you, you oversleep a little bit. You hit snooze a couple times. You're common. Uh, some of you think you're special because you get up super. You're not really that special. There is a common breed of people that's up at like 3.30 and going and doing all those things. Common, weird common, but common, okay? <laughs> but most of us get up after several iterations of the snooze button. We wake up. We hit the floor. We don't want to go to work. Got nasty breath, right? I need to pee. I don't want to greet my spouse because they're going to have nasty breath too. I don't want to deal with the kids. I don't want to make another round of school lunches. You know what that means? You're common. I don't want to go to work. Tomorrow's Monday. I don't want to do all the things. I'm common. You're common. We're common people, guys. Man, we hide from it and run from it and dodge it. But every day proves you're common. Every day proves I'm common. And so we acknowledge that to our father and say, Father, thank you for all these reminders that I'm a really common kid in your family. And so I'm praying now, Spirit, would you empower me today to proclaim your words, to perform Jesus' works, because left to my own commonality, I will be like Peter and John. I will run or I will betray you publicly, but I am not inclined to do those things. Please empower me through your presence. And so Jesus healed, they say, Jesus healed this man standing next to us. We didn't do it, Jesus did it. And then again, another reminder, guys, you guys rejected him. And they quote from the Psalms, everybody present would have known this Psalm, uh, pointing to Jesus as a stone rejected by builders. But what they were rejecting was the cornerstone for the whole building. So whether they knew it or not, and most of them didn't know it, they were rejecting God's planned rescuing king that he had sent for their good and they reject him and so the whole building crumbles on them and Peter says you won't find salvation in anything or anyone else Jesus alone can save you and I love this in verse 9 and verse 12 in verse 9 they say they healed a guy right you see that healed and then in verse 12 where it says there's salvation in no one else like you need to be saved that word saved and that word healed are the same word English, but they're the same word. And I love this because basically what Peter and John are doing is saying, it's God's mercy that saved or healed this crippled man. And oh, by the way, you're this crippled man too. 
He had no hope. He was over 40. He'd never walked. No hope but Jesus alone. Dog, your soul has been crippled from birth. You can see his crippling effect on the outside, but your soul looks like his legs did before Jesus healed them. You're crippled. You've got no hope, Jesus alone. Family, we're the crippled man. We are the crippled man. No hope but Jesus. And guys, if you have yet to respond to Jesus' offer of mercy, I just I have to tell you this in love. The gospel would say that you are still that crippled man. Your soul is still crippled. You still need healing. And you can't self-help your way out of it. Therapy is good, but you can't therapy your way out of it. Self-improvement is great, but you can't self-improve your way out of it. It's a problem at your core, and Jesus alone can save and heal you. And so what we see is the Spirit is empowering common people, Peter and John, to confidently proclaim Jesus' words right here. They did to a hostile crowd and perform his works. They did for this crippled man. But then you're like, John, yeah, look at this text. Like, what about how they're being treated? Like, they're being persecuted here, right? This is persecution. We got to talk about this. And maybe it is. Probably it is. So that brings us to the third piece of our sentence. We already saw that the Spirit empowers common people, and we're common, and that's okay. The Spirit empowers common people to confidently proclaim Jesus' words. That's why we exist. And perform Jesus' works. That's why we exist. And this last piece, focusing on Christ over conspiracy in the face of persecution. Back in verses 2 to 3, we learn that the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people, this is key, and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That's why they're annoyed, because they're talking about Jesus and talking about the resurrection. So don't be surprised that people reject the resurrection. People were rejecting the resurrection 2,000 years ago, right? It's just nothing is new under the sun. So they're greatly annoyed. They arrest them and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Then you skim down into verse 18, we read, Peter and John were going to be released, but under strict instructions, we don't want you to talk about Jesus anymore. None. Not another word about Jesus or the, the hope of the resurrection in this city. None. So Peter and John respond to them. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, in verse 20. Hey, fellas, look, we're not constitutional scholars, right? I, whatever. Like, you decide the legalities of this whole thing. Like, you come to whatever conclusion you need to with the law. Like, that's fine. But whether it's legal or not, we are not going to stop talking about Jesus' words, and we're not going to stop performing Jesus' works. Like, that's, that's why we exist. But you decide it all. We're, we're just letting you know ahead of time what we're going to do. So verse, that response, obviously, verse 21, leads to more threats, probably legal threats and probably physical threats, and then they were released. Guys, that's probably a pretty clear picture of what persecution against a Christian would look like. Because we need to acknowledge any people group can experience persecution, right? Persecution doesn't belong exclusively to Christians. People around the world are persecuted for various reasons. But when we're talking about persecution of a Christian, this is what we're talking about. At the core, it's, it's threats, legal, physical, arrest, maybe even trial, um, for one specific reason, right? We're maybe two, I mean, if you want to break them down, proclaiming Jesus' words and performing Jesus' works, right? That would make it Christian persecution or um, 
persecution against Christians because of Jesus and the gospel. Now, there's a reason I bring that up, and there's a reason I want to talk about this for a moment, because, um, I, so I want, to, I want to say this to you, and we can talk about it for a little bit. COVID is not persecution, nor is COVID a smokescreen for persecution against Christians. No one, to my knowledge, and, and I'm willing to admit I could be wrong, and if I'm wrong, please come tell me later, and I will retract everything I'm about to say. I am not aware of anyone, in our, I'm speaking about our context, in the West, you know, America or Canada. No one is being arrested or shut down or fined for talking about Jesus, Jesus' words, or performing Jesus' works, for talking about the hope of the resurrection. Now, are there Christians who are facing some difficulties right now legally or just in the court of public opinion because of their crowd size? Maybe, maybe are they being fined or shut down? Or in Canada, there's a story of a, a pastor being arrested. Uh, perhaps, of course. Um, are there some Christians who are wrestling with the whole the gathering thing? Like, so maybe they're facing difficulty because they're they're gathering. Of course. Uh, maybe they're facing challenges because they're choosing not to mask up. Sure, maybe. But I don't know of any Christian or any churches who are facing legal challenges right now or being persecuted. Let's use this word simply because they are proclaiming Jesus' words or performing Jesus' works. And this is a very important distinction. Here's why it matters. Let's have, if you want to, and if this is your lane and you feel comfortable doing so, let's have conversations about constitutional law. Let's have conversations about limits of government authority or medical science or efficacy of approach or the economic impacts of shutdowns and all the things, right? All the things, all the masking and social distancing and all the things. But family, let's slow the roll on the persecution talk. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying, because I, I am not a social media police officer and I have no idea what most of you are saying out there or doing in your personal lives. So I, I'm not saying anybody in here is doing it. I just say, from what I've been reading and seeing, this conversation is so common in Christian circles in the West right now, uh, pointing to persecution. Guys, this is persecution. This man's name is Nabil Habishi Salama. He was executed on April 18th by an ISIS affiliate in Egypt. He was 62 at the time of his death. He was a grandfather and a father. His teeth were pounded out one at a time, each tooth giving him a new opportunity to reject Jesus, which he did not do, and eventually received a bullet to the back of his brain. He was killed because he and his family fund the only church in his city. They helped pay for its building. They helped pay to keep the lights on and do all the things. That's persecution against a Christian because he's a Christian. This is persecution. This is in China. This is the early rain church. They've been persecuted for a number of years now. Why? Because they confidently proclaim Jesus' words and they confidently, through the Spirit's empowerment, perform Jesus' works. And so they are regularly arrested, detained, sent to concentration camps, labor camps, re-education camps. That's persecution. Okay, now, the next four pictures I want to show you, we can have conversations about them, again, in terms of constitutional law, government overreach, whatever, medical science. I mean, Joe Rogan runs in all those lanes now, so you can too. 
Uh, he just shattered the glass ceiling for all of us to be experts in all the things, okay? So have the conversations, but here, listen, this is not persecution. That's not persecution against Christians, masked singing. This is not persecution, socially distanced seating in a worship gathering space. Uh, this is not persecution, uh, unless you're in 29 Palms or like Okinawa in August. Then, okay, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. But worshiping outdoors is not persecution. This is not persecution. Well, kind of, because Zoom, Zoom is persecution. Yes, it is. But that's not persecution, guys. The, none of those expressions are Christians being targeted because they're Christian, because they're proclaiming the words of Jesus or performing the works of Jesus. Is it messy culturally right now? Yes. Can we talk about overreach and all the things? Go, go for it. Whatever. It's just, it's not Christian persecution. So that's my opinion, okay? And I value relationships over being right. And so history may prove that I'm wrong and you're right. And if so, okay, great. And if you have a different opinion than I do, I'm still your pastor, I'm still your brother, I'm still your friend, and this is your church family, and I love you, and I'm thankful for you. And you don't have to feel the way I feel about this. So if you dif- disagree with me, even if that is persecution, listen. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will what? Okay, family. We don't need conspiracy theories. If you are loved by Jesus and you are empowered by his spirit, your life will be full of moments where you boldly, with confidence, proclaim his words and perform his works. And you will be persecuted at some point for that. Like, it's just like Jesus. Imagine Jesus having a junior high football team. And after every play, the kids are like, Jesus, we're getting hit. Like every play. Like, and Jesus looks at him and is like, this is a full contact sport. Like I told you when you signed up, like we're going to play football here, right? Like there's no, so, the, so that's Jesus' way of saying, fam, don't be surprised. This is what we're about, okay? 2 Corinthians 12, 10. Okay, so that's reality for us. For the sake of Christ, then what? We're okay. I don't need to change my circumstances. I can be content with persecutions, Later, another place in the New Testament, it says that Christians are persecuted but not forsaken. We're okay because we're not forsaken. Jesus has us. We're good. We can be content with persecutions. We've not experienced what Nabil Habishi Salama did, but we could be content with that because of the Spirit's empowering presence. We've experienced nothing like early reign church in China, but we could with the Spirit's empowering presence. 1 Corinthians 4.12 says when we're persecuted, what? We endure. We can keep going. And Romans 12, 14, blessed. So here's your posture. If you do feel that COVID is persecution or that it is being used as a smokescreen to persecute Christians, here's how we talk about people publicly and privately that we may feel are in on it. Even if that's how you feel, we, what do we do? We bless those who persecute us. Speak well of them. We bless and do not curse them. Blessing means we pray for their well-being. That's what it means, Okay. So how did Peter and John respond? Like, oh man, look at this narrative. We got persecution going on. Like how does a person who's got the Holy Spirit's empowering presence respond in persecution? Well, we see from verses 23 to 31, they go to their friends. They tell them the story about the last 24 hours, right? The E2 that they hung out with for 12 hours and then their little council jam and all that. And, and, and what happened? 
And then they go down this conspiracy rabbit hole where they talk about how, dude, the whole high priestly, like everybody in the high priest, they're all family. You know that, right? You got like Ananias and Caiaphas, like a father-in-law, son-in-law. You got all these dudes that are related. You got the Sadducees who are like collaborators with the Roman government. And they probably had this meeting behind closed doors and QAnon and Alex Jones. And we got all these things. There's no rabbit hole here. What do we see? Immediate running to Christ. Christ over conspiracy. Look at this. Look at their prayer. They tell the story, and then immediately after the story, it's not like, man, we got to figure this out. Man, we need to expose this collaboration and this conspiracy, this collusion. Dog, we got to pray. And look at how it starts. Sovereign Lord. If you struggle with conspiracy theories, which I really did in the past and somewhat do now, it will always be one of these things that I have to just rehearse the gospel and turn to Christ. Here's how those of us who are recovering from conspiracy theory life pray, sovereign Lord, because it's the first acknowledgement that means when I say sovereign Lord, I'm acknowledging I got no clue what's going on, but you know everything. You, look, you created everything. And then he quotes Psalm 22, and basically Psalm 22 says, Father, you told us that there would be opposition, and we're seeing it. But you also said that opposition to Jesus would do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. I don't need a conspiracy theory anymore. I just need Psalm 22. Psalm 22 removes the need for any conspiratorial Think I don't need it anymore. Psalm 22. So we're solid. When we pray this way, we're just acknowledging, okay, life is jacked up. Yes, people are, are people collaborating? Probably. Are they conspiring? Probably. Am I going to be, am I being persecuted? Yeah, look, but I'm not freaking out. I trust you. You're sovereign. I trust your plan. And here are my three requests. Father, please look upon their threats. Man, and I love that because look, again, for those of us who would struggle with thinking conspiracy, What is this praying? I'm saying, dad, my problem is I look too hard at all of these threats and I try to assume or figure out the things all behind the threat. So would you please look at the threats in my place so I don't have to? I don't want to waste my time with conspiracy. Why don't I want to waste my time with conspiracy? Because the reason for my existence is so crystal clear. Proclaim Jesus' words, perform Jesus' works. I don't got time for conspiracy theory. So father, Instead of me looking on their threats, would you please look at their threats so I can just look at you, Jesus? This plays out in a number of of ways for us culturally as as followers of Jesus. I want to say one more thing. It might, I'm just going to say it gently, but I want to say it. Um, CRT has really dominated conversations in many Christian circles for going on two years now. Some of you don't know what CRT is, and that's okay. I'll be very brief. Uh, CRT is uh, critical race theory, and many would argue that it is the number one enemy of the church today, or like this great threat. And I would just humbly submit that we're barking up the wrong CRT, if you will. Um, Is it a thing? Sure. Do you want to write books about it? Sure. Do you want to have conferences about it and talk about it? Sure. I really don't believe it's the number one enemy of our church today. Now, I believe there are CRTs that are, and here's what I mean by that. Not critical race theory, but COVID response theories. Not critical race theory, but constitutional rights theories. 
and not CT, not for critical theory. Most of us don't even know what that is. But yet we've been told it's like the number one enemy of, of the church today. So not critical theory CT, but how about this CT? Christians who are consumed by conspiracy theories, that's CT. To do a little slim shady, I think like the real one needs to stand up. Is there a CRT that's a real threat to the church today? Yeah, that was lame. You can laugh. <laughs> when the lapel breaks and they're like, here, use a handheld, it's just going to go south from there. <laughs> Guys, but I say that because here, can I just say this as a brother? I talk with Christians every day and non-Christians every day, just like you. Do you know how many um, conversations I've had with Christians who are, who are like adopting CRT and, or CT and turning away from the gospel. Do you know how many Christians I talk with who are just consumed with it to the point that they're not even sure they can believe Jesus anymore because of this critical theory thing? Do you know how many? Zero. I don't know of any Orthodox churches or pastors or Christians out there who are swaying and being influenced by this critical race theory thing, which is supposed to be our number one enemy. Do you know what I do have every day? I have conversations with Christians who are absolutely consumed right now with conspiracy theories. Totally sidetracked from the words and works of Jesus. I have conversations every day with Christians who are consumed with constitutional right theories in face of COVID restrictions and all these things. Not Jesus' words and works. I think the real CRT or CT needs to stand up. And I think we just need to be careful, guys. Now, again, I say that in all humility and history may prove me wrong. But I need, we need to be very careful. Christ over conspiracy. So look upon their threats. Give your servants boldness. What? To keep talking about Jesus and the resurrection. That's what they want boldness for. Jesus and the resurrection. Not my libertarian way of life. Not to talk about my constitutional rights. Not to express my conservative values. To talk about Jesus and the hope of the resurrection. Family, in the West, our Christian existence, our lives are formed more by the Bill of Rights than they are the Sermon on the Mount. We love to say, don't tread on me or come and take it. You got the t-shirt, right? Are we that bold with the good news of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus? Many of us have been defined more by the second amendment than the second commandment. I mean, we got to ask the question, am I more concerned with gun rights or laying down my rights for the sake of the gospel? Give your servants boldness to keep talking about Jesus and the resurrection and perform signs and wonders, they pray. That's just, that's their way of, of praying to the Father. Please heal people. Please may the Spirit's empowering presence be at work in our lives today. And look at the Father's answer, verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God in boldness. Guys, Acts isn't history. That's what's meant to happen. That is our story. The Spirit empowers common people to confidently proclaim Jesus' words and perform his works, focusing on Christ over conspiracy in the face of persecution. Fam, we're common people, and that's okay. How about we ask for the Spirit's empowering presence together? I think, Grant, I think you're going to come and pray for us as one of our pastors and However the Spirit leads you to confess or to turn to Christ in mercy, uh, let's, let's pray with Grant.